rural cannot just be poor and marginalized, right? Yeah. Our vision is to change the definition from poor and marginalized to cool and creative. We want people in rural communities to be confident and proud of the fact that they stay in communities. We want them to use the resources they have to create unique stories for themselves, unique identity for themselves. So, so just, just picture a bamboo village, a village where you know when you get into the community, anything about bamboo to the highest form of creativity, you would find it in the village. That is an identity that changes the definition of poor from poor and marginalized to cool and creative. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. At age 23, Tony Joy started her journey in social development with organizing a cleanup exercise in over eight states in Nigeria. It was 2015. That's when she discovered her love for waste. Tony realized that she could do more with waste. One year later, she went to Imafon, a rural community in Akure, on the state, and decided to spend her time with people who are treated like waste, poor and marginalized. Welcome to Stick Your Neck Out, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Today I have Tony Joy over the phone, so please excuse us if the audio quality is not as usual. I'm really glad the talk worked anyway, since Tony is sitting in Nigeria and I'm in Hamburg. I just hope it doesn't disturb your listening experience. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Duranyona. Tony, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tony, you run a community-based organization in Nigeria, Turian. You are also a Cantari graduate. Like many Cantaris, you have a moving story. You are literally a survivor. Would you agree to tell us a bit on how you grew up and how did you feel once you became a teenager? My background story is kind of filled with <laughs> a lot of hopes and downs. Like it, it's a mix of experiences for me. I lost mm. my dad when I was 12. And my dad is like the, my soul. When I was growing up, it was like the only person I connected so much with because I had my own way of doing things. I was mostly alone. I... I love creativity and my dad understood that amongst every other person. So losing my dad was like losing everything that mattered the most to me. When I lost my dad, it's like everything became dark for me. I couldn't relate to well with people. People didn't say positive things to me anymore. The only person who would say one positive thing to me at least every day is gone. My mom was struggling with the grief and everything. So she didn't have all the time to take care of me. We are four in the family. The children are four. So she didn't have all the time to also look at me because it was a whole lot for her too. And so I I crashed, like literally went into a zone where I felt frustrated. I hated leaving. I tried mm. committing suicide. I tried two times because I was tired of existing. And then added to that is the fact that people would tell me that I... I am such a waste for so many reasons. Uh, uh, maybe because of the way I look, because I am close. I'm I'm close to looking like a guy, like I'm a tomboy. Or I was a tomboy mm. growing up, you know. And so it's something that culturally, yeah, it's not really accepted. And so people would say, "Oh, you're such a waste. Look at you. Your mother gave birth to a girl, and you're struggling to look like a guy." You know, it was a whole lot of things. It was people telling me that I amount into nothing. It was family members not believing in me. 
I hated leaving. I I was tired of it. At 14, I tried. At 16 years, I tried again. I'm lucky to be alive because nothing happened to me through experiences I did. I think it was even three. It was three. I, I, at 12, I was frustrated at 14 and 16. And then after the experience at 16, I left home to start my own life because I felt like I needed to run away from everything. I wasn't sure of what was going to happen. I didn't know what life was going to look like if I run away from the people who I can call family. And how did you suddenly begin to feel alive again? It was hard, really, because it was when I was in the university, when I left home for the university, it was when I was in the university at some point, I realized people would come to me and tell me that they they want me to help them with something, you know, so they would have experiences and then they would share it with me. You know, I'm someone who is drowning in my own world, and but people saw something else. People saw someone who could help. People saw the positive part of me. And that was the thing that gave me hope. That was the thing that gave me the drive. Added to that was my experience with music and art. So I would play the drums and and then art, dramas, none of that. So gradually mm. I found myself through that. And that was what gave me life, expressions and opportunity to express my creativity. You said when you were a child back home, you were told you are a waste. I don't agree. You find meaning for your life again with waste. What a paradox, isn't it? Can you please describe the way you are dealing with waste in your community in Nigeria? What I do in uh, the community where we work now is we work with the rural waste, like the kind of local waste that they have. And like you said, yes, the waste in this context, again, is a metaphor, just like waste in my story is a metaphor. In this context, it's also kind of like a metaphor because we are using waste to empower people who are often treated like they are waste, people who are often marginalized. So, and because we want it to be very relatable, we work with waste that communities do have. Most of the communities that I work with here in Nigeria are farming communities. So they would have, for example, lots of cocoa pods from the production of cocoa. They would have cassava waste. They would have palm, palm canal. They have bamboo, a lot of bamboo that is not valued. You know, so those are the things that we use as a tool to train people within the community. Yes, yeah, so for example, in the in the craft village, the, the Durian craft village that we're in right now, we train people on how to use bamboo to make different products, products like table, chairs, jewelries, all kinds of products. We mm-hmm. also have the unit that creates the abo black soap, it's the African black soap from the cocoa pod husk. We have a cassava processing unit so that after processing to gari, which is a local a local dish here, after processing mm. it to the cassava flakes, we use the waste from the cassava as animal feed. And then we have um, a tailoring unit where fabric waste is used to make children clothes and other products. Finally, we have a very beautiful children learning space. Yeah, so those are the kind of projects that we are doing within communities now. And the way it works is that we train and we create opportunities for people to get jobs also. You called your organization Durian. This is also the name of a tropical fruit that is well known for its incredible penetrating smell, right? Yes. Why did you give your organization the name of this plant? Yeah, sure. So durian is, like you said, the fruit that stinks but tastes so good. Like it tastes so, so good, right? Mm. But the first experience you would have with durian is, ah, that's, it smells bad, right? But mm. when you taste it, you have a different experience. Yeah. The same thing with waste. Waste is something that stinks, huh? 
But when you give it the opportunity, it becomes a useful tool. The same thing with people in communities. There's an assumption that people in communities are poor, marginalized, undereducated, and all of that. But communities are beautiful. Rural is so cool. Rural is so, so cool and creative. And we are not even giving them the opportunity to express their creativity in their own way. And that is why durian is a symbol for us, too. So don't judge before you get to us. Don't judge us by the smell. Don't judge us by the identity that has been created or by the bias or the, or the whole story that has been created about rural and waste. Come and experience. Come and experience what rural is. And then you would sure tell that rural is so cool. Yes, right. You have this motto, rural is cool. What's the story behind it? The, the story is this. This is the story. Rural cannot just be poor and marginalized, right? Mm-hmm. Our vision is to change the definition from poor and marginalized to cool and creative. We want people in rural communities to be confident and proud of the fact that they stay in communities. We want them to use the resources they have to create unique stories for themselves, unique identity for themselves. So, so just, just picture a bamboo village, a village where you know when you get into the community, anything about bamboo to the highest form of creativity, you would find it in the village. That is an identity that changes the definition of poor from poor and marginalized to cool and creative. You know, so that, that's where it's coming from. That's the inspiration. We want to change that definition. We want rural to become, ah, I want to go to this community. That place is so cool and creative. And how does Turian help the people in Nigeria exactly? Okay, so it's in different phases, right? For example, if we're going to a community for the first time, a day for us would be making com- doing community entrance, doing resource mapping, doing a stakeholders meeting with the people in the community to understand the community and then introducing the project to them. And this takes like a a while. It could be a month for all of these processes. But when all of these processes are established, then a day for us is we come and you meet a group of women in different groups and there are different small offices and they're small huts made from local materials and they are doing something with the waste that I've identified. So we are training them on, on one craft or the other using the different ways that we've, we've identified. So you are using mostly bamboo, coconut and trash. Do you have some examples how you can transform this item in something that has value? I've seen, for example, during the research that you were also building the headquarters of Durian with plastic bottles and wheels. All the buildings that we have here are built with a touch of waste material. We have the hall that is set mm-hmm. up with head bottles. So we've used so far used over 8,000 PET bottles and tires. Um, we have two of that kind of building here. We have a building that is made with bamboo and mud. We have a building that is made with wood, like waste wood from the, the sawmills, because we have sawmills around us here. That's kind of the touch. We have a touch of waste on all the buildings that we have here. And why we are doing this is because we want people in the community to see that they can do something in what they have around them. We don't have to spend so much to live a comfortable life. So it shouldn't always be about the run for money. There's probably a time to start thinking about how about using what I have to create something unique for me and to, you know, define who I am, my own kind of identity. The other part of it is that, you know, so for example, with, with the bamboos, we make furniture, we make chairs and tables, anything, anything we can get our hands to make. You know, like right yeah. now we are looking into cutlery. We want to try out forks and spoons. We, we, we already started doing it, but now we want to make it like really big. 
were also recently recently researching into bamboo charcoal because of the challenge of tree felling. So we were losing a lot of trees in communities because of access to firewood and for cooking and all of that. But then if we could have bamboo charcoal, then of, of course we are trying to solve the, solving the problem also with that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and with the cocoa, we make soaps. Majorly we make soaps and skincare products. So we use the husk when it's dried to, to make the soaps. Tony, do you think that waste management and empowerment can get married? Definitely. It's the future. It's the future and it's the present, right? But what I'm saying is the future is this. We need to be very, very real. The resources we have, the question is, the resources we have, is it infinite? It, it's not infinite. It's, it's finite. It's going to stop someday. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not going to keep having those resources we have every day. You know, see, right now we're talking about climate change and we're talking about, oh, now we need to go back to some of the things that we were not doing and we should be doing, or we need mm-hmm. to stop taking resources from the earth because it's causing this problem or that. You know, we need to, to save the, the ocean. So right now we, we are talking about all of this. And in between all of this, there's a conversation around waste and waste management and resource management so that we don't run out of resources. We need to manage what we produce. When yeah. we produce and it generates waste, we need to think of what we can do with the waste that's been generated from it. When we think about that, then we can also be thinking about economic empowerment for people you know, so there's this close relationship that can be brought within waste management, economic empowerment, solving problems, you know, uh, using waste as a tool to solve as many problems as possible. So you can use waste to build houses in, in villages for people who don't have houses, or it can be used as earthquake resistant houses in different parts of the world where there's a crisis of earthquake and all of that. So waste is the future. Waste is the future. Waste is, is road, waste is building, waste is um, resource, waste is um, biofuel. Biogas, mm-hmm. you know, come speak of it. Everything has yeah. a touch of waste if we really think through it. So, in the real sense, it's kind of nothing called waste. We call it waste because we've not thought through how to use it to mm-hmm. solve for the problems and then to so that we can save this planet. We we need to save this planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah we need indeed. The, the people in the community accepted that you being a girl comes around and says, "Okay, we're going to do this different now." I mean, it was easy for you. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. <laughs> and and that's because there's a cultural thing around, it's a stereotype around women taking responsibility. It's a serious issue here. So it wasn't easy, but the thing with, with it is that persistence, being consistent, being diligent, showing up, hard work, all of that paid at the end of the day. So I think that was what really helped me through it all. The fact that I was showing up every day, even though they say no or they didn't believe. Because I remember when we started in 2016, we started and a group of women came. And, and after a couple of days, they left. So we only left with about five people or thereabouts, which was really sad. you know. But right now, yeah, the, all of them who left are back. Or everybody who left in 2016, all of them are back right now. Yeah, so it's also um, a way of showing women that they can challenge stereotypes, right? They can break glass ceilings. They don't have to all sit back and say, oh, this has already been said about me. People would say different things about me. People would say different things about women, um, young girls, especially in communities where the stereotypes already exist. 
but we can mm. pull through this. We can we can break this. We can break this standard that is becoming a normal that has been created mm. by being consistent, persistent, showing up, and and showing up, showing up and doing the right thing. You know, showing yeah. up and doing the right thing. That's great. So currently, due to the Corona crisis, your team has a different washing machine cycle. I guess. How is this pandemic impacting your work, and what are you doing to counter it? Uh, so, because of the crisis, we had to stop our direct training for a while and go into responding to the crisis. So, we we did a lot of community work. We distributed lots of nose masks to people in the communities that would serve and, and other communities that we, we, we haven't reached out to before. We distributed a lot of nose masks. We created wash stations within six communities. We started this food gardens with women in communities. We started cassava processing as a response to the COVID crisis because during the COVID crisis, the prices of food went up and people couldn't afford food. So we decided to start processing food so that it is affordable for people within communities that we serve, where we serve. We had a children's place where children, because the children's schools were closed, so the children would come to this space and stay with us almost all day, learning different skills, including their academics. So these were the things that we were doing during this period. Also, we did law sensitization because there was the wrong information going out. Um, there were people who were getting drunk because they heard that if you take a whole lot of alcohol, um, you are immune to the virus. Yes, and we reached out to like 7,000 people within the space of the, the crisis, especially when the crisis was at, was, was at its peak here in Nigeria. So that's what we did during this period. And right now we're gradually getting back into activity, our, our usual trainings, gradually, gradually. But okay. we are still very careful, you know, like we still um, wash our hands and we encourage people to still do the same. We still use our nose masks especially when we're in crowded places. So we are still being very safety conscious. But um, okay. since uh, a, a lot more lighter now, a lot more lighter, because the lockdown was like very harsh on everybody, um, especially in the communities with access to food. Access to food was like a really big problem for almost everybody. Yeah. What is your ideal of a Nigeria influenced by Dudian? Wow. It's going to be rural communities that are cool. <laughs> rural communities that have Unique identities, you know, maybe a solar village, a bamboo village, mm. a cassava village, villages that are known for things that are unique and they do it and do it well. You know, Nigeria where rural is no longer poor and marginalized. This might take time, but we're ready to start setting the templates. We're ready to start working on the kind of pilots that we want to see in the future. We're ready to work with as many stakeholders as possible to make this dream come true. Well, we're already doing that gradually here, right? People are beginning to know this place as that creative place. The community itself is becoming to is beginning to be known as that creative place where people creating from bamboo, cocoa, different things because of the work we are doing. You know, so that's kind of, that's kind of like the Nigeria that we see influenced by by Dorian. Where rural is cool, like that that that's like the dream. Rural should be cool, you know, like cool, cool. Yeah, so that's that's the dream for us. Huh? Thank you so much, Tony, for your time. I'm more thankful. Tony Joy is the founder of Durian, an NGO which works on community development, women empowerment, and poverty alleviation, especially in remote areas of Nigeria. So, dear listeners, 
If you want to support or just know more about Tony and the work Durian is doing in Nigeria, visit their homepage, durian.org.ng. Next week in Stick Your Neck Out, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity, I'm going to be talking with Mohamed El-Garani, the Guantanamo kid, also a commended giraffe hero. Mohamed was among the youngest prisoners in Guantanamo, in my natal country, Cuba, abducted and rendered to the prison camp at just 14 years old. He was held there without charge or trial for seven years. And you get to know more of his story with us. So you'll find the Cantario Giraffe Hero Stories every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you hear your podcast. Subscribe the podcast so you don't have to look at for us. We'll be coming to you. And if you'd like to tell us about your frontline hero, just visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. But more important, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. 